Welcome to Beers, Business, and Balls, presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com and use the code HOUSE at checkout. You get 20% off your order and free shipping. And apart with DraftKings Sportsbook as well, Massachusetts betters use the code BBB on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Get up to $200 in free bonus bets. We live in a world where Ed Cooley is no longer the head coach at Providence College. And that is not the worst part of this situation. The worst part, to do a little reframing exercise, is we live in a world where Ed Cooley is the head coach of the Georgetown Hoyas. That's the first time I've said that out loud, and I hate it. I think we also... I was going to say we live in a twilight zone world where Dave Portnoy is fighting with Jeff Goodman and Johnny Fanta's <laughs> catching strays. And also that Dave Portnoy tried to hire John Fanta to barstool. Um, would he, yeah, would he have like the start to this week has just been you and I sending each other those tweets. Like <laughs> I had to double take because I saw, I saw Portnoy drop the Ed Cooley clown nose shirt, which if you know him, the clown nose shirt does not, that's not, thrown out easily that is goodell rob manfred bill de blasio and now ed cooley and the empire state building so not not thrown around lightly (laughs) not thrown around lightly but jeff goodman was getting at him and it's i i oh we do have skin in the game because well we can't take sides because all three of them were on the show (laughs) we've had all three of them as guests isn't that crazy and it's like but but i we've met him and stuff and it's like one of those things where i'm not picking sides obviously we have skin in the fight because of ed cooley i don't disagree on portnoy's comment saying that mainstream media is definitely carrying the water bucket for ed cooley that no one is mad at ed cooley for leaving if i understand where he's coming from in some aspects that you know, he wanted change, he needed to assess the options, right place, right time, whatever. People are mad, including myself, with the timeline of events. The timeline of events of him, and again, nothing's confirmed, but the evidence is pretty damning. Putting up your house for sale, March 3rd. March 1st, you are at Georgetown. Supposedly, you are visiting officials there, having the conversation. Put the house on sale March 3rd. You sign the disclosure. You lose the rest of your season. You lose the Big East tournament. You lose the first round of the playoffs. The players obviously were lost. The uh, lost faith in the team. The assistant coaches were definitely already in the know because Cooley's like, I'm bringing everyone with me. So that's not something that just happens Sunday afternoon. Hey, you want to move your whole family to Georgetown? This was this was <laughs> in the works, right? So the timelines and then. The fact that he said a couple of weeks ago, Friars for life, us, we together, family Friars, this is my dream job, yada, yada, yada. You lied to everybody. You lied, you lied, and you threw away something that you're talking about 53 years in Providence. No one cares anymore. You are now public enemy number one. Yeah, I will say nobody cares in the short term, right? Like, you know, Bob Driscoll a couple of years ago talking about when they built the Ruin uh, Friar Development Center. There's the statue, and it's Joe Mullaney and Mr. Gavitt. And he said, I hope we 
put Ed Cooley's statue right next to them. And there's a spot on that bench. If you know that bench that I'm talking about, there's an empty spot. And that will no longer feature Ed Cooley. That no. may be vacant forever, to be honest, because he, at least in the short term, for the next five, 10 years, he is a hated man in the 401. Yeah, there's no, again, Going to being the first coach in the Big East history to leave for a opposing Big East conference member is definitely history in itself. Like that's something that has it's unprecedented times. Like that's crazy to do it behind everyone's back during the season. The fact that um, Providence did not hear from Georgetown until Sunday morning, even though the rumor mill was not only in the month of March. It was dated back to December and January where his name was starting to flirt around and then obviously starting to uh, pick up speed in February and March. But what Georgetown did was dirty. What the conference is allowing, again, if he's going to take the job, that's fine. If transfers that were linked to Providence while he was coaching and interviewing them and doing all of this stuff head to Georgetown, I'm going to have a bigger problem. Yeah, so and. This is brand new. Um, I don't know if you had the chance to see Ian Steele's conversation with him today, but they flew Ian down to to DC for the press conference. And he actually, yeah, I j- just watched this. They just posted it. He asked him the hard questions. He's like, there's a lot of, there's words of betrayal getting thrown around. And, you know, Cooley's response was, you know, that's a, that's a harsh word, you know, blah, 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 some stupid crap. But then he asked about the house. He said, you know, hey, um, March 3rd, you guys signed the foreclosure, it's not foreclosure, the uh, disclosure notice. What's up with that? And his response, first of all, pour one out for Brendan McGare because McGare is one of the best in this state. He does his job very thoroughly. And he posted, he you know, he scooped the uh, the disclosure notice, which, of course, subsequently went viral. Everybody's like, holy shit, this guy signed the forms a day before senior day. And he answered the question with, yeah, you know, that's just, that's uh, that wasn't right of the reporting to do that. It's like, that's, that no, is... No, you're not taking account of your actions. That you are not taking, you were, you were saying that, Boo for Brendan and boo for the media for reporting on the facts. You should have just been like, timing was wrong. Because not for nothing, you have a $2 million house in what, East Greenwich? That's where the, that's where it is? Yeah, it's going to sell no matter what. Especially with your name tied to it. If you left on even good terms, some rich Providence College alumni would have been like, that's my summer home. <laughs> that's true. And... You know what I don't – and he did go on in that answer to say, like, you know, I we were downsizing anyway. We were going to list our house a year ago, and it just came to that. There is still a sizable hole in the story because he's talking about, oh, my, you know, my wife signed it. Uh, the realtor was in the house. Bad lie when that's your fucking signature. I'm sorry. It says it's, Ed it's, A. Cooley on it. It's a, it's a bad lie. In his press conference today, I mean – the divine providence of him being at Georgetown. You couldn't use different words. Like I just feel, and again, I'm I'm trying to take the emotions out of it because again, you and I were Providence fans. We didn't go there, but we've have, you know, we've talked to Ed Cooley countless amount of times. We have connections in the building. 
You know, we've been to plenty and plenty of games. Like we are fans of the team more than just media. Like we do care about this program a lot. Listening to that press conference was just sickening because it was the same song and dance to the same one he had 12, 13 years ago. And I, I truly feel that he was trying to just dig it into Providence every word he was saying, talking about, you know, uh, fans can be angry, but they shouldn't be angry. Like, take a minute into being my skin and stuff like that. No one is mad that you're leaving. Everyone is mad at the fact of how you did it. Yeah. That is the thing. That is, if you wanted to leave at the end of the season, I said this on, you know, our Road to the Garden show a couple of days ago. If you left at the end of the season and it was to Georgetown, 80% of the fans would say, thank you so much, Cooley. Appreciate it. 20% would be mad. Now, the way you handled it, it's 100%. And I, I, and I respect the players and, and, you know, people around Providence still being like, you know, respect what Cooley's done. There is no disrespecting what he has done. Just don't lie. Don't yeah, lie. Just, uh, right. Yeah. That's my thing. It's like you, you, you threw away everything where it's like, you know, next year when we're covering stuff, like I'll look at him differently. We're still obviously going to talk to him, but it's like, yeah, dude, you don't, you, your words were empty promises to, and then also to say that Georgetown's a better opportunity to win a championship just shows, did you never have any confidence in what you were building the past 12 years? I, that's where I keep getting tripped up because now I, I understand Providence is not a job that it was, right? That was a stepping stone job for people. It was a stepping stone job where Keno Davis wanted it to be a stepping stone job. Um, you know, so did Tim Welsh. So did Pete Gillen, right? And Ed Cooley probably thought the same thing, right? Um, even though he said stuff like this is my dream job and whatnot. Now, I'm going to try to summarize how Providence fans feel because there's a level of fandom involved. Like you said, like I cards on the table, I have bias towards being a fan, right? I've followed the Friars for five years now. Uh, you know, that was my, the, the first year I was writing for the OG College Hoops Digest. I became a fan of Ed Cooley as a person and as a coach. And I wasn't before that. I wish him... He he is still a tremendous person. Hundred you know? percent, hundred percent. He is a fantastic guy, and I wish him. I hope he has a fulfilling life. I do because he, if there's ever a guy on this earth that deserves it, it's him. He is a fantastic guy. I also wish him nothing but the worst in his new head coaching position, and that's how most Providence fans feel. Again, there's a level of hard feelings in here. I want to say no hard feelings. Because he's a really good dude. But you cannot omit all of that stuff you just said. So for that reason, I hope Georgetown loses every game they play from here on out. I have a reason, growing up as a UConn fan, to hate Georgetown again, right? It was like, that's the, okay, you know, Villanova, Syracuse, and and when they were good, Georgetown. That's who you hated as a UConn fan. And now they're hateable. It, they are public enemy number one. Part of me thinks they should just lean into it too. Like, I think I saw No Escalators tweet this the other day. They're like, they should just, they should start playing like the Imperial March when they come out and like Ed Cooley should go, when he goes back to Providence, be like, 
smells like broken here. <laughs> like that would be fucking funny. But I, I mean, wish them nothing worse. Yeah, I, I I think they are gonna lean into that and. Not for nothing, I am very curious to when we head down to Big East Media Day in the fall, what's going to happen because that was my first Big East Media Day this past year. Obviously, it was a very exciting weekend for beers, business, and balls, but the camaraderie and excitement and just joy in that building, it literally was like the first day of school. Everyone was dressed to the nine. The coaches were all laughing and dapping things up because it was actually like the first true one since COVID. Um, Val Ackerman was smiling, shaking hands, kissing babies. Like, you have a fantastic speech, too. Was yeah, great. everything was just like, you can say, like, and, and and Cooley was a guy that mentioned it, too. Big East Conference is the best in the business, and, like, this brotherhood is night like no others. I can't confidently say that's the thing next year because there's going to be guys in his inner circle that will ride with him in the decision, but also be like, I don't trust you because how do I not know you're going to be poaching my people, my players, my staff, how do I know that this isn't going to send a ripple effect throughout the conference of, you know, we're playing dirty. Now it's <laughs> Georgetown is a target on the back where I don't think even with Ed Cooley and some of the transfers, they will be a final four team. I don't, that's just my strict opinion because it's like in the near term, but it, you know, it's, it's, impossible to say really like in four or five years if he gets there i, I think he could i don't think, I think it's he gonna could. happen but i think he could but like he was just breaking that cusp now at providence i mean last year he had a veteran team that went to the sweet 16 that was four points away from beating the you know eventual national champion yeah right it's like they he was building something here. You don't get a guy like Bryce Hopkins without Ed Cooley and Battle and the facilities and the NIL and the home the home court advantage at the the Dunka amp, whatever you want to call it at the time, right? It's like that those are all factors where it's like this is a basketball community. Yeah, I agree. So so in summary, it's like that's how Providence fans feel right now, right? It's it's you know, he'll always, you got to commend him for his, his accomplishments. Again, I'm going to say it. I, I personally, I wish him very well because he's a great guy. And I look forward to saying hello to him, Big East Media Day when he comes over. But, but God, I hope they lose every single game they play. I will be rooting against them. And that's just the fact. Yeah, so. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what Providence and the Big East does because, you know, we've talked about this in our inner circle. Uh, guys like Penrice, DeRosa, Matt St. Jean. I honestly think this game is going to be a Wednesday at 5 p.m. where students <laughs> during midterms or New Year's Eve 2 p.m., right? Like, I, I think this home game is a very much under, like, they're, they're, there is no 10 minute long welcome back ceremony with a video with emotions no, and all that stuff. That shit. There it's... is no Jersey enshrinement. There is no handing you a ball at center court and, and shaking and shaking hands and, and taking pictures. It is a, now I will say uh, 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 with that though, I did a little homework, did a little snooping around. If Providence does do something for him, there is one man that makes that decision, and it's Steve Napolillo. He he stamps that. So that's ultimately going to go right up to him if they want to do something for him. And right now, 
If you're asking me the way he's talking about it, like uh, publicly, this is no insider information. There is no fucking way that they do that. No, especially the way that Knapp got treated in this whole process. Like we saw the events unfold just as he did. Sunday morning, he gets the call from Georgetown. He then makes a last ditch effort at Ed Cooley's house to be, which he didn't know at the time was on the market. No, he, <laughs> he just pretty fucked he, up. He, he just went on. He he went on his normal twenty minute drive to East Greenwich and said, "Hey Ed, let's talk." Talked for hours and said, "When you have a decision, I know this is you're not going to take this lightly. Give me a call." That was at nine p.m. Well, nine o'clock in the morning the next day, he had his fucking decision and six million dollars and not a chance to counter or even there was no decision. The decision was made. The book was closed. Mm. Yep. It sucks. So, so that's and that. then, I mean, when you pulled you you reposted the the audio from the podcast that we had him on, and that 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 stung. Yeah, it hurt a little, right? Because uh, this was, um, this was November twenty twenty one, and he was talking a lot about like you know I walk these streets and dream of the what if scenarios, like what if I was a head coach here, and then twelve years later, um, but again, if you want to leave, that's fine. Just do it right. Look at what fucking Shrewsbury just did for Penn State. He waited for his team to leave and exit March Madness tournament for the conversations to even begin on both sides. Yep. And that's how it should have went down. That's how it should have went down. So obviously we don't know who the next head coach is. All eyes and all signs are pointing at Kim English. Um, Two seasons at George Mason, you know, up and coming star in the league, as many says, has uh, what Rick Barnes approval, stamp of approval. Yes, he does. So if if it's if it's English, I'm looking at uh, our beer number three, the old A. We might have to recreate recreate that for him. <laughs> the old, the old English. Kim's face on it. Um, hey, flew you flew commercial up here. Um, there's rumors that he's on Providence's campus while we record this. And we'll see. We will, if it's him, we'll know by the end of the week. That's, uh, that's what, what are your options? Where are you know, my, my options, like I did have Kim English on my, on my short list after, you know, the rumors started to swirl and stuff, but I honestly, he was my three because I had Rick Pitino one as a, as an FU to the league being like, sometimes you have to take a step backwards to go you have to take a step backwards to go forward right and like take a blast from the past and then my second was Shrewsbury just because of you know what he's done at Penn State in this little run that they made at the tournament but you know pick someone a little bit younger a little bit I guess this is I mean this is this is make or break for the brass at Providence College if if Kim English is the guy because they they cannot afford to find a new coach in three years and restart this whole cycle again no we i'm just curious who else they're interviewing i don't really know because it's like no other names are necessarily right now (laughs) yeah which is like how can you how can you be like shocked by this decision and then only have one name in mind i don't know i i really think bobby hurley should get a phone call i do I think that would be great for the league as well. Little brotherhood rivalry, a little, yeah. a little. It's not, you know, not going to be Billy Donovan. He's that's NBA money. He's not coming back. Um, 
so let's get there was pipe. rumors there was rumors that and again twitter is such a dangerous space now especially you don't know like who has sources and who's legitimate like we know the people in our circle who i trust the most but like there's other people where it's like i don't know who you're talking to on the side like people are saying like becky hammond is her name has been thrown in the ring i don't th- like i don't know if she would do that well, the, the U R I woman's coach had a great quote. Great quote. Yeah. When they when they I, asked I, her, Sammy Reese, she was great. Yeah. Because like, well, one, she was like, "Hell no!" Like, I'm I'm here to grow the 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 woman's sport and the woman's game and all of that stuff. But um, she had a good quote of just being like, "My focus right now, like, I'm not one, I'm not leaving, and I love my job and I love being here. But two, even if that's the case, my season's still on until that last buzzer, that last." buzzer uh ends then we can start having conversations about the future but you know if that's what i was interested yeah yeah it's she answered that very correctly um this is gonna sound super dumb has a woman ever coached in like the men's d1 circuit i don't think so i don't think so maybe like smaller schools but i i am not sure i can't name you a single program that would have had a uh, a woman at the d1 men's level yeah i really don't so hey it's it's not out of the question that someone like becky hammond comes to a, a, a but i don't know that that's what she'd want i really don't because it doesn't at that point like just what's doris burke up to it fuck man you know supposedly they had conversations with her just about you know navigating these waters yeah, uh, I'm just curious what Val Ackerman has to say because there has been no official comment of. Well, this it sounds whole like she's going to say nothing. Everyone's just pens. I just don't like how it's like. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying that like Georgetown and Cooley should be like knocked off the bat, but like, I mean, you have to at least say like, yeah, they didn't do anything illegal. It was just dirty it's not what we do in this conference it's not what we should do in the sport mm-hmm. I, I i fully support it but again that's... going back to our original point that's what portnoy was talking about he goes just call it as it is like I know. just call it as it is what he did was dirty and wrong and selfish it is if he All if he is. left on his own accord at the end of the season fine whatever it's crazy shit but that's that's talking ed cooley we could go on for hours i'm i'm pissed most other people are i know you are and we're just gonna have to get over it um because kim english will come in and save the friars so that's that um to go into the next part of our show what you came here for beers and business we tackle and some ball we, we do we can't escape the ed cooley situation because we talked about it with uh chip and homer from shades on beer um we took a ride down to west kingston rhode island if you haven't been to shades on you have to go you've probably drank it you've probably heard it and finally we sit down with chip who is the co-founder of shades on along with homer the business manager so let's dive into our live conversation from kingston here they are 
right, everybody, we are live at Shades On Brewery. We're with Chip Sampson, the co-owner, and Homer Johnson, one of the business managers here. And we're in the back room, not too much noise with the Bruins going on, but we're just uh, happy to be in South County for the first time on this podcast. And uh, thanks for having us. So how's it going? Good. Very good. Thank you guys for coming down. Uh, very convenient for us. Yeah. <laughs> so let's kick it off. I mean, uh, we'll start with you, Chip. You've had definitely an interesting background to lead yourself to the beer world. I mean, you grew up in this area, obviously went to Colorado, which we'll touch upon the sports aspect in a little bit. But uh, journalism major, experience in sports broadcasting, videography and sales. So why beer? Uh, it was there the whole time, you know, everything else came and went. <laughs> Hopefully not while you were videoing and sports broadcast. Uh, I mean, you know, and some no comment elements there. afterward. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> no, for, and, you know, at, at those points, you know, not so much while working, but, um, you know, certainly being in places where, where beer was uh, special and popular and appreciated and, you know, certainly valued, being in Colorado especially. Um, you know, Colorado, when I first got there in 2004, had a great setting already for craft beer, um, and it only grew in that time period. Um, I was in Colorado for 12 years, um, spent some time elsewhere with um, time working in sports in some other markets, but Colorado, the brewery scene was just, you know, like nothing I had ever seen before um, and you know it's special across the country in terms of probably being one of the you know top 10 places that you would go for just the sheer number of breweries in, in one metro area um, so you know Boulder had a, had a number uh, Fort Collins nearby and Denver nearby you know all three were just powerhouses of the beer world and so went out there as a college student and you come out you know with this incredible perspective on beer because you start out knowing macro domestic brands maybe, but you get introduced to things like New Belgian and Avery right away when you get to Boulder and when you turn 21 when you get to Boulder. Um, <laughs> and then uh, as you spend more time there, you know, you, you, you're able to try so many different things. Different breweries get so specific because there's such a support for beer that you could go to a brewery and it only makes red beer. That's a specific example in Denver. Um, you can go to breweries, you know, that are specifically making beers based on style, based on nation, region of origin, um, stuff like that. So, you know, developed a very good palate for beer while I was out there. And, you know, like I said, it, it was there the whole time that, you know, I worked in sports. Um, I worked in journalism. I worked in different things with sports, with radio. Um, I did some behind the scenes um, video work stuff like that. I did, you know, editing, I did camera work, but beer was always there. I mean, it was just a part of the lifestyle and, uh, I valued it, appreciated it. And then had a great opportunity, um, coming back to Rhode Island where, as you mentioned, I did grow up here and then reconnected with Josh, my business partner for us to get together, um, and start off Shades On. And Homer, for you, what, what's your beer story and, and how have you grown with, with Shades On as the time's gone on too? Yeah, so, so similar to Chip and, uh, like, you know, the genesis or the roots of it taking place around college time. Similarly, I went to University of Vermont um, when I got there. Magic Hat was it all over the place. Um, and then just in my four years of college and then extra year in Burlington, um, we watched a proliferation of sorts. I mean, Switchback became Switchback while I was there. That's, to this day, one of my favorite beers ever. Um, 
I was there when Hetty Topper was really blowing up. I had a friend who would drive down to Waterbury every weekend to fill up his trunk with cases and bring them back and show off to everybody this new double IPA that was 8% and people couldn't wrap their heads around that. And, um, so that was really fun to, to be there when that was happening. So that was on my mind for a long time. I was an enthusiast. Um, I moved out to San Diego after college and you know, had close proximity to Stone and other great smaller microbreweries out there. So it was just a good weekend activity or free time activity in general to visit a brewery or be on the hunt and look for something new. And um, that sort of carried over. I bounced around careers a little bit. I was in journalism for a while. I worked at Whole Foods buying cheese for a little while, but beer was like the one constant through all those times. And I loved Shades On before I ever worked here. It was my favorite brewery in the state. So when the job opened up and I interviewed and got it, it was it was a no-brainer and the rest is history. Yeah, so let's start over with, you know, this the beginning of Shades On. So I know some people in the community know this, but this was obviously Proclamation's uh, first spot. But tell us how, you know, Chip, when did you want to start a brewery? And, you know, how did you meet your business partner? And tell us the origins of, uh, you know, Shades On. So I had developed the interest to want a brewery while I was still in Colorado, but the, and even probably going back, I mean, probably even like right earlier days in Colorado, um, I had spent a summer living in Wisconsin, and I remember talking with people in Wisconsin, which, as, as people will know, is a huge beer-loving state, um, and people in Wisconsin talking about, you know, breweries and starting a brewery, becoming a brewer, and you know, a lot of people there talking about, you know, some of the complexities of getting there and what it would take with, you know, chemical engineering backgrounds and, you know, brewing science and certain different things that I did not study, I did not know. Uh, fortunately, that works out uh, in a certain way because every brewery needs the, the business end of things, which uh, fortunately aligns for me well with how Shades On comes to life. Um, and... I had the interest, I had had those conversations, they were a little discouraging because they leaned so much more to the, the chemistry side, which of course is vitally important um, with beer, and then it leading to where we are with Josh and me and the foundation starting Shades On, Josh and I first met when we were teenagers um, through a mutual friend, and we maintained a friendship for all this time from then till now, and we had bonded over beer as we got older that you know when even you're young and you know you're first tasting beer you know you're not so versed in a palate to know stuff about nuances of different countries of origin different parts of the united states and things that they're doing but you know later on as we had been traveled we had been tasting different beers we both start to have those interests those tastes and you know we reconnect and discuss that um, Josh, when he turned 21, immediately immerses himself into brewing, where he starts home brewing um, right away at 21 from a homebrew kit that his now wife bought for him. He starts at the uh, American Brewers Guild doing um, an education in brewing. He begins working at Mayflower in Plymouth. He's the head brewer at Graysale when Graysale begins. So I move back to Rhode Island from Colorado in 2016 and at this point Josh is already nearly a decade deep in a professional brewing career. Um, I'm coming in with just this, this passion for beer, knowledge from 
the consumer side of things without the applied brewing or science knowledge or background whatsoever. So we connect, we continue talking about it, and I started working with Josh at Graysale, and this was an incredible opportunity for me. Um, the, the people at Graysale are amazing. I had already started to know some of them over time from them coming out to Denver for events or visiting Graysale when I was back. Um, but it was this awesome opportunity to come in to work with this established brewery that was growing and just such an impressive product with the range of beers that they had, the growth that they were already seeing, the way they managed themselves both in their property, the tasting room, at the brewery in Westerly, but then also distribution throughout their presence in the whole state of Rhode Island at that point. Um, so I was able to pick up and learn a lot from different people in the company. I mean, a lot from Josh, but Josh was knowledgeable and doing stuff that was not going to necessarily be what I'd be learning, what I could learn even. You know, it's like, obviously, if I really applied myself to some extent, I can learn it, but he's already a guy. He's got a better mind for the science and stuff like that. And so he's doing that, but I was able to work with different elements of the tasting room, events, um, outside sales, marketing, certain things where... Um, you know, it's, it's crazy to look back to say, like, Graysale helped create such a foundation for me specifically in beer, where I'd come with background in sports broadcasting, sports marketing, journalism, certain things that are definitely applied, but this got really specific to beer for the first time. And that was, you know, vitally important because I'm covering different things that I had not really ever seen on such a close level. Um, and then from that, Josh and I had this really unique opportunity where Proclamation, um, as you mentioned, Will, was growing and had you know, started out in the space that we're in now. And they were moving to Warwick and they were moving to a bigger space. They were expanding. And they reached out to Josh to say, hey, here's this opportunity. Uh, at that point now, five and a half years ago, we thought we were in no place that we didn't have the money for it. You know, we didn't have enough experience. We didn't have enough know-how to take on the whole ownership of a small business, a small brewery. Um, you know, we thought about it. Given from proclamation, think about it. You know, we spoke with our wives, spoke with our families, and everybody gave this huge, you know, vote of confidence in us. And with that support, we went back and it was like, you know, we learned so much that it was like, strangely, you don't necessarily need to have all the capital right away. There's a way you can get funding, you can work through it. And, you know, fortunately, through some, some great opportunities with funding and some help through different ways to get creative, um, we ended up, you know, getting the funding we needed to purchase the equipment, everything else, um, off a of proclamation, take over the lease, and then move into this property. The, the growth, too, after that, and we'll touch upon, upon, you know, what makes Shades On, Shades On, right? But, you know, how, how from that point over the you know, last five years or so, would you say this, this brand and, and Shades On in general has evolved? Um, well, I'll talk, I'll talk about the early stuff. And then, Homer, jump in because you've done a huge amount in the last few years of really taking us to a, a different level, I think, of our presence in the state. In the first few years, we were very focus here at the tasting room and i mean really at the tasting room we've expanded to have a beer garden on site but 
in the first few years, it was um, an approach really to just drive people to us and how do we get people to get familiar with our product that we're making here, come to us, get it from us, and then take it home sort of thing. We were distributing, but our production was still quite limited in the first couple of years. Um, you know, I think we were still finding our grooves in a lot of way of, you know, what beers are we really leaning into? What beers are we still keeping on the side of rotating flexible scale? Um, how much can we make? How are we going to be efficient based on how much we're making? So we, in the first couple of years, we're really trying to find ourselves. And it's funny, the consumer guides you more than I think you realize when you start a business. I think there's a picture in your head of, you know, what your consumer is going to be and what their buying habits are going to be. And then it changes you based on the consumer where, you know, we say we make the beer we want and we do, you know, it's like we absolutely are making the beer we want, but we do flex that based on what we hear as feedback. And it's important to us to hear what consumers are saying, what they want, and also just seeing, you know, what, what people want, but then also the behavioral thing. So it's not just the beer, it's the way people behaved in the brewery, not like their day-to-day behavior, but kind of in the overall sense of, uh, you know, we thought people would come, have a beer, go home and take a, a bottle or four pack home kind of a thing or however much. You know, we actually were hoping for more, but we became almost more of an on-site hanging out place than we thought at the beginning. And that kind of uh, helped us evolve because, you know, at the end of the day, it's like if you're having people buy your pours, it's not a bad thing. You know, so it's like here's your ultimate price point margin is that this like small pour amount sort of thing as opposed to like just having package and sending it out but volume wise it's hard sending out a good amount of package it's so it's like playing around with that learning that from the way customer behavior is sort of a thing so I was trying to find a groove which then brings us to the point where we're like we need to create a bigger thing here that we start out and we're in a 500 square foot tasting room and you know, as soon as we're like, oh my gosh, we're almost operating more like a bar than we expected, suddenly that space isn't enough. Um, and so that's when we get to a point where we talk with our landlords, we brainstorm about it, we talk with our neighbors at Arnold Lumber and their masonry division, and we expand to having a beer garden outside. And so that's a whole project through like all of 2019 where I think of it as like such a vital like stepping stone in the life of Shades On where you know, we go through this like capacity of a 500 square foot room to suddenly we've got thousands of square feet outside that for, you know, nine months of the year presents this whole great new opportunity for Shades On. Um, and I think that it changes a lot of stuff about us because production's got to go up because you get more people in. Stuff going on's got to go up. So it's like we're putting events together that we've never done before. Food, music, entertainment, makers with art, uh, clothing, jewelry, people coming in, setting up, doing stuff where we build up more because we've got space, but you also have almost, you know, you got to put more on to get people to fill this space that you have. Um, so that's an evolution that we, we see. And then at, at home, like I was saying, you can take from there where we kind of go even beyond. Yeah, I got to witness the transformation when I started. We were doing music in the barn doors and the tasting room and it was a good ambiance and a good fit but like chip saying you know 
being limited to that that tasting room had its own challenges, but also its own draws at the same time. Um, so we got to move outside, and that was super beneficial for the business. I was bartending, heading up the tap room for that time period, 2019, 2020, and then 2021. Um, I've got this great familiarity with our customer base. I'm really comfortable in the job. Um, just very versed at this point in the Shades on products and the beers and just the mission in general to the point that when it comes time to negotiate a contract for the following year, I said to Chip and Josh, hey, put me in the field. Let me do some sales stuff. Let me go talk to restaurants and liquor stores around the state, pitch the brand, increase our distro footprint. Because Chip's alluded to it before that um, business on site is consistent and that can be a good thing and that can also be a bad thing. Um, obviously we've grown in that consistency for the better, but for the, the overall success of the company, it behooves us to step outside as well and, and increase that footprint around the state. So when I got hired as the taproom manager, Chip right away said, Hey, how would you feel about on one of your days off? Just taking a strictly commission based thing. It's up to you. You're not beholden to X amount of hours in a day, but go around and see if you can make some sales. And if you do, uh, benefits both of us. So that was how I had an in in the first place. <clears throat> and then all of 2022 was just doing that, getting acclimated, forming relationships with people who know the brand or maybe didn't at the time. Um, and together collectively, we've, we've definitely increased the footprint, grown the brand, and it's been great to see. It starts off easy where you say, hey, we're a microbrewery in West Kingston. And that kind of alone is endearing to any business person. But um, the name recognition took off, more familiarity happened after that, and I'd say we're still on the up and up, and it's great to see. So I guess in your you know, few short years with Shades On, how do you f what do you say are like, the biggest challenges that you've you know, had to take on over the past couple of years? Obviously, you know, we can assume the pandemic being one of them, but just in terms from you know, coming in, you mentioned how you weren't necessarily sure if this was the right time back in 2017 to now 2023 where you're flourishing. So what would you say the biggest challenges have been? Um, cash flow is always a big challenge. Um, I think we didn't realize when we started how much spending would still go in early on to just get to a point that then we were making money that we thought all right well we'll get ourselves financed to buy the equipment finish out the closing with proclamation um but then on top of that just how much equipment everything you have to acquire whether it's kegs bottles or cans labels uh, clothing that you're going to sell. I mean, when we started out clothing, uh, growlers, um, we started out only doing bottles. We didn't do cans for a while. So just like getting all the pieces together before anything was making you money and not to mention that um, not only anything making you money, but enough money to start like really feeling like you're recouping how much spending you had been doing. Um, and then going into distribution, so it's like we were distributing, but it's like we started out, we're so, so small that, one, you're not making a lot of money. And then just the, the process with that, that it's like you're paying for the grain and the can or a bottle for us, you know, long time ago. And then you send it out and then there's terms to get it back. You know, so it's like the whole thing with like cash flow is always kind of tough at the beginning. And I think we learned a lot about how to get efficient 
to get better planning ahead and how planning ahead actually makes everything better with um, cash cash flow situation where you know going from no business experience whatsoever um, business ownership experience and then being like oh shoot now we are like entirely it um, kind of a thing um, was one of the the big challenges and then I think another big challenge and kind of goes back to what I was saying before with our like starting up is just uh, the adapting to what the consumer landscape becomes sort of thing where it's like we bought a bunch of bottles and it was five, four ounce, 750 milliliter bottles of beer at a point where everyone's buying four packs and 16 ounce cans where we hoped we thought we could do a lot with Belgian influenced beers it turns out that's not the mass number of the local Rhode Island or America based consumer sure don't get me wrong there are plenty of people who absolutely love Belgian beers saisons quads triples like our triple actually is like really well reviewed and loved and appreciated sort of thing which is funny because now we do that in cans but we thought we could kind of be the product to create the environment as opposed to us being like an, a product of our environment sort of a thing so we had invested so much into one thing hoping that that's like what we could lead people to and we then find out that it's like everybody's looking for cans. The time we first canned, it was like night and day of what we could sell product to go. So we did growlers too. You're selling a decent amount in growlers, but it's like we kind of came in at an era of craft beer where I think the growlers peak was probably in like 1997 or something, maybe even earlier. But it's like there was an era of craft beer that was different. And then bottles, 12-ounce brown bottles are, like, really popular in craft beer through, like, the 2000s and maybe late 90s, probably even throughout the 90s of craft beer. And bottles go away. That, that trend kind of fades. Cans start to come in. I think Oscar Blues claims that they're, like, the first ones putting craft beer in cans. Then you see the 16-ounce cans with Hetty Toppers, Homer was talking about earlier. And then... At the time we started in 2017, that's what people wanted. They wanted their four-pack and a 16-ounce can, and they wanted a hard plastic pack tech top. And so we had essentially put so much into one thing. But, you know, going back and saying this again, it's like you learn from the consumer. You want to guide. You want to do what you want to an extent, but you want to keep doing what you want, but you also want to, like, make money and be successful as a business. So, so you adapted to it. So it's... It's like, uh, you know, there are definitely challenges with that. So and that's, uh, that also plays into the cash flow thing because then it's like, oh, man, I made an investment mistake. But you learn, you learn to recover from it, and you're like, all right, well, which thing works now at the best for us to avoid making a mistake again but also recoup kind of over the mistake? And also, you know, with some, we've used the bottles over time. It became, as opposed to doing every batch of beer goes into the 750-milliliter bottle, it's been spread out over years and years of a select batch every year maybe a couple select batches a year go into uh, 750 milliliter or 500 milliliter bottle you just hit on a lot of points and i think <laughs> that is you know it, it encapsulates a lot about like you know you mentioned how consumers behave in this state you mentioned you know uh, some of the challenges and some of your 
you know, the, your, your best parts of, you know, uh, operating the, the brewery day to day, too. And I think we'll, we'll dive into a few of those for sure. But as far as this space, somebody that's never been to Shades On before, how do you describe this spot to newcomers? I think the description uh, that's thrown out there is unique, quirky. What else about Shades On should customers know? That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I know personally when I visit breweries, I love rustic or unique or whatever buzzwords we want to throw in there. Like I love a garage brewery. I love just like a real industrial feel. I think we encapsulate that pretty well. Um, it's a nice cozy tasting room. And then I think the beer garden itself is just kind of a very special thing that's like leaving the industrial zone and stepping out into another industrial zone but like oh but but a really really a really nice one too as well tell yes. the uh, tell the listeners about the beer yeah yeah so yeah 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 when i came to shades on the what is now the beer garden was just a lot of overgrown grass and um a very tight but long space behind the building that separates the uh, Amtrak train track from the warehouse. So there actually was barbed wire there. Absolutely. Yeah. Up until about <laughs> a couple months ago, maybe. Yeah. yeah like, oh, uh, but um, like Chip alluded to earlier, the, the Arnold's uh, people, our neighbors next door, our lovely neighbors helped us. Uh, they laid down some pavers and some gravel and leveled out the ground. And Chip and Josh got some really nice professional paint work done. Um, if the train goes by slow enough, you can, when you're pulling in Kingston Station, you can take a look and say, oh, what's that? I want to go check that out. So um, to bring it all the way back around, it's like leaving an industrial warehouse and stepping out into a legitimate beer garden, especially in the spring or summer when the weather's nice and the grass is green and the beer is flowing. Uh, so it's the best of both worlds. I think we appeal to most everybody. And I like to tell people that if the train goes by while you're here, you've gotten the full experience. I love it. Uh, and I love that industrial. I, I certainly feel that way when I come in here, like a that garage brewery kind of yeah. feel, right? It just Absolutely. And in that same vein, Wednesday Night Darts has been a popular uh, event or program that you guys have run, and that screams garage brewery, right? Absolutely. So so how did, how did that come up, and what makes customers keep coming back for that? We started with one dart board that we inherited obtained through my wife's uh, family that they had and they weren't using essentially her aunt had it I think in the basement of her home and the, my wife's cousins had you know grown up moved out of the house and so this dartboard was there and so we take it in put it up and honestly I don't think it was getting that much use for some time um, and we would we set it up actually where you could take it outside too and have it at the beer garden and every once in a while i'd play outside or we would play inside um and then we got this idea about kind of upscaling it so we we had this interest of getting a better dart board itself and then the um, the actual like framing piece which i'm not even sure what you would call it that would hold it up and you have the scoreboards and kind of wood paneling around and so we looked into it and then kind of just went on a run where I think we got two dartboards um, and another nicer set. So we have two dartboards set up in our tasting room and then there's a third one that's in our brew house space. Um, so we just 
you know, I suddenly had this interest for darts, and then we were playing a lot. A lot of times, like, later in the day, maybe when a packaging day is done, or after we have, like, a team meeting or something, that we would break off into two-on-two -two or just individual and run through some dart games, just going quickly, playing. Um, and then we, st we set up the, the dart night thinking that, you know, there's other people who are interested in darts. There's people who go to pubs and play darts. And then we were like, where, though? We were like, where do you do it? You don't do it around here. That it's like, we were thinking about, you know, a lot of the great, like, pubs and bars that we go to in this area in South County. Probably, I mean, Homer, you might know more, like, northern part of the state. You know, being a southern Rhode Islander, I don't go too far. But <laughs> the Muse, the Ocean Mist, places that I love around here. And I'm thinking, I don't play darts at that. They don't have darts. So I'm like, people need to have an option to play darts. And you, like you're saying, like, what a good space of industrial space where it's like Wednesday, we're not going to be super busy. So you're going to have space where you need space to play darts. You know, you don't, you don't want a crowded set. It's, darts. Anyway. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not exactly like the, the really dense population kind of game of uh, people standing <laughs> shoulder to shoulder. So you need, you know, some runway room sort of thing to play. And so we were like, well, that's a great opportunity that, you know, you could have two to four people set up at each one of the boards playing and we'd have enough room on a, a Wednesday and in our industrial space that you could play without having to worry about people or something. I mean, Grant, let me, let me tell you, still there's always some story. <laughs> there's always some story of something going on. The darts in the wall. I say, where's the craziest <laughs> place a dart has ended up? Like, Probably yeah. very short of where the board is on the wall. We've had throws that miss pretty bad. <laughs> so you just actually brought up a funny comment about being a Southern Rhode Islander, that you, don't, that you don't really leave the area. So we've been doing this for about three years now, and we'll go anywhere and everywhere for beer. But we've noticed in Rhode Island, it's very much a divide of people stay in South County, or people are up in Providence, or people are up in the North. And we just ran our beer bracket where we very much saw the pockets of people being like, this is 10 minutes from my house, and this is all I do. The grocery store, expiry in wherever, and that and my house, that's it. So can you kind of describe the beer scene in Rhode Island from your perspective, as well as you know some of the different people that you might collaborate with or work with in the uh, South County area? There's actually a good amount of beer tourism with breweries, I think, that draws people to leave that reputation. I jokingly say it, but I almost do kind of live it. Like every once in a while, I venture out, but not much. I stay, <laughs> but it's it's almost you know kind of just the way my lifestyle is right now with you know brewery ownership. I have two young kids. It just like I mean maybe this is like a Southern Rhode Islander explaining why they have this reputation, <laughs> but it's like I'm like well there's still everything's right here. Why would I go anywhere? Um, sort of thing. But I think what's great about Rhode Island and the breweries and the brewery people in Rhode Island is that I will see people who are here on a Saturday and then I'll see them at Buttonwoods. I'll see them at Narragansett or Union Station or a Ravenous. I mean, you never get me going all the way to Southern yeah, I have to pack like uh, camping equipment to go up there. Um, <laughs> so it, that's a that's a thing where it's like that reputation does exist, and we always joke about it. But I think people who are interested in beer and 
into the scene of different craft beers and what people are doing at each brewery, they do travel around. Like there's and, and, the, and there's efforts beyond just people independently doing that. You know, there's certain individuals, there's couples, there's families that I see around. But then there's also things where the Brewers Guild and then other different um, you know parties, entities like Rhode Island Food Fights does uh, an effort to get people going around to the different breweries, which is also good that not only people are doing it on their own, but there's also these other things to invite, promote that people should be doing it. And it is a great thing to be going around. Because there are so many beers, so many breweries, there's so much more going on than ever before um, with beer in Rhode Island. So we've talked a lot about, you know, the backstory, the face, the place itself. We haven't touched upon the beer. So obviously you have beer styles all over the world um, from Shades On. So, I mean, I'm staring at the Czech Pilsner, which is, I think, uh, from our perspective, probably one of the more popular ones. But, you know, describe the beer that's present here and, you know, the inspiration behind all of it. The Czech Pilsner. I don't want to speak too much out of pocket on because that that predates me here. But I do know that I, I correct me if I'm wrong. I think the inspiration is basically just um, a good, crisp, clean, anytime beer. Um, and Pilsner is a crowd pleaser, and that was you know that was the in inspired globally, brewed locally, and that was that was the the flagship beer. Is the flagship beer. Uh, cutting you off it is actually kind of funny because it's like there was no set thing of why that was the first beer that was the first beer we ever brewed and it became so popular but it is funny that josh and i so much agreed that that would be the first beer where josh came in with like this love of belgian beer and i had kind of been like all right i've been out west where like west coast ipas were a thing but i also really loved like german beer um there were certain breweries in Denver, Colorado, you know, where German beer styles were really, like, focused on, and I had, like, really gotten into those breweries. And I, at one point, had pitched, like, oh, we should be, like, just doing German beers. And Josh was like, we're going to keep this kind of open thing. And I don't know what it was, but we were both like, but Pilsner would be the first beer, right? And it was like, oh, yeah, well. <laughs> Shock influence, Pilsner, yeah, Pilsner, yeah, yeah. So I don't know, like, really, it wasn't like there was, like, a whole, like, plan there, but it was just, like, agreed. I was like, Pilsner should go first, yeah. I will say Buffalo Czech is probably, we're just going to declare this with no backing whatsoever, the, the most creative name for a, a Czech Pilsner. That's, it's objectively there's hilarious. There's so many elements to it. There's yeah. multiple things to it. Czech is the country played into it. Buffalo Czech is the flannel pattern played into it. So it's like, it's like a before and after, like when they do on uh, like Wheel of Fortune, where it's like Buffalo Czech is one thing, the flannel pattern. Czech Pilsner is another thing where it can, Buffalo Czech Pilsner all goes together. And on the whole of it, I went to the University of Colorado, yeah. ran with the buffalo, so I have, of course, this passion to have buffalo included in the name of beer. I also just want to be on the record for all your listeners and everybody tuning in. Um, buffalo does not mean spicy. <laughs> Is that a question that's been asked? It's been asked, and I uh, just want to put on the record one more time. It's not yes. buffalo. It has nothing yes. to do with buffalo not, sauce. Not the heat, Correct. people. Um, or the city. But, you know, uh, at any given time, what should a consumer expect to find, you know, maybe in a can or on tap, uh, you know, here or, or, or elsewhere from the Shades On portfolio? Yeah, in the marketplace, the Czech Pilsner 
um, our pale ale, Sea and Sand, and uh, we have a new kind of flagship IPA called Little Ocean are going to be the main constants. After that, we try to touch as many bases as possible. We recently just brewed a Polish-style beer called Grudziski, um, which somebody at our uh, distributorship said, uh, if anybody was going to do it, it would be you. And that's like... <laughs> That's we we hang our head on that. We like to we like to do the styles that not everybody's doing, and it doesn't have to be that uh, polarizing either. It's like Chip alluded to the triple earlier. That's a that's a style that certain people like. You know, you think of Delirium and other breweries like that that have kind of made a name on that style. So we do that. We love our Belgians. Um, we love lagers in general. Like every. September, October, try to put out as many lagers as possible, um, not just Oktoberfest. Um, you know, we have a Helles, we do a, a Schwarzbier, a black lager, a dark Czech lager. So um, IPAs are great. I love them. I drink them all the time. But I'm also really happy to be at a brewery that is not just an IPA factory and that's putting out a lot of different styles and a lot of variety. And another big aspect you guys have you know, apparently tried to emphasize is a collaboration too. So a couple collaborations over the years. Um, you know, we're college hoops guys, so we just have to to plug the uh, collaboration with. Stop diving! Two weeks ago, we've been laughing at you. No, laughing at us. we get it. We get it out. Yeah, come on. Like yeah. I'm upset about it and that's coming from the Rhode Island fan perspective yeah. I'm upset I think it, it would have been the example I used to a, fr I, to a friend yesterday who's a PC fan is that if URI gets good now and becomes like a, a really good team which we're, you know, we're hopeful for with Archie Manning It'll be as if, like, the 2004 Red Sox won the World Series without beating the Yankees. That Ed Cooley's Providence team was the one that should have been, like, up at the top, and you or I had to get to that. That if there's any slip in, in Providence's level now, it's, like, it's not legit. It's, like, it sh and Providence should be staying here, you know? And it's, like, you or I's got to get back up here, but, like... Ed Cooley's province should have been like staying here and Ed Cooley should have been the one and it's like if we ever want to have like this like great thrill of having a run of URI wins against Providence it shouldn't be whoever that comes in or whatever it should be Ed Cooley well respectfully tough shit you're gonna get you're gonna get Kim English and you're gonna you're gonna have to deal with it but that wasn't uh, they weren't listening to me but <laughs> No, it's uh, it, it's uh, we're not we're not we gonna go into it. Yeah, we could. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's something yeah. stronger than beer for us. We yeah. keep going to know. Um, it's it's a yeah, it's a very tough situation for sure. But I think you know with, with Archie Miller, like you said, um, how you have to wonder how close those programs are gonna be next year. You really do. But yeah, but you hope it's that it's Archie bringing URI up, not. Yeah. Anybody coming down to where That's URI was this year. Because URI uh, does not want to be lower than they were this year. No. Sure. Or even close to where they were yeah, this year, yeah. I, I would say. But, again, it's year one, the Arch era. They'll figure it out. I, yeah. well, or, or they don't, they, and he's gone. So. Yeah. But it's they crazy will. stuff. They will. They will figure it out. I think um, so. But regardless. I know. We don't again. I know, yeah. <laughs> I, again, I, we could talk about this for hours. But yeah. in the vein of uh, URI, you know, Rams versus Friars. Um, yes. The collaboration with Union Station, which was Big Trouble and Little Roadie. Yes. Um, and that's that's actually a perfect time to bring this up, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Cool, <laughs> cool style. Um, 
It's a roadie ram going head to head with a fryer. I mean, was that something you guys sort of pitched them, or you know, how how does a situation like that all come together? We took ownership of the URI associated brewery. That's weird, maybe too bold to say sort of thing, but I don't think anyone's coming after us for it. That we had started doing stuff where it's like, all right, we're hosting pregame parties for URI. We did a bet with Ragged Island where um, Bill and Matt are both PC alumni, and we did that bet 2019 game. And so they they play the game, URI wins, they came here, and they bartended here, and that was like the win-loss in the bet agreement then. Union Station gets involved because... Mike Delahanty is a PC fan. We've, as I said, we've established ourselves as the URI brewery at this point. Clearly there's a battle still going on for who the PC one is. Mike might have defined that this year as Union Station. As you know, they did get their own beer. Um, but so Mike, Mike and I are good friends. We connect over this that it's like you're there representing one side, we're representing the side. How do we bring that to life in this like great collaborative beer and presence outwardly to the fans, to the schools, to everything going on with the rivalry. And that's what brought that together, that we were then saying, you're hosting the game because that year it was in Providence. So you're hosting, you guys take ownership of the art, and we brew the beer at Union Station. Um, so I feel bad that I'm not going to be uh, giving the right credit due with the art here. Um, because they, they led that, um, but they did that awesome art where you have the Friar and the Ram squaring up head-to-head, -head, which was a great vision of, like, you know, something to represent the schools and also kind of, you know, have that fighting battle rivalry aspect to it. Um, the name, we shot around a bunch of different names. I personally love the one we landed on, the Big Trouble in Little Roadie. Kind of plays off of a Kurt Russell movie name, which was Big Trouble in Little China? Chinatown? Little China? Um... And and I've fit, I've seen like a uh, rivalry nickname, like something that you'd see in like college football or college basketball, where they exchange a trophy every year, and it's like that that could be it. We could get it started. Um, unfortunately, we ran into the legal licensing elements of stuff this year. Which um, no knock on anybody, it's just the process how it is. If something's out there and somebody else's product likeness is getting used. They've got rights to it. So certain things worked differently, unfortunately, for us than for Union Station. So Union Station does now have the Firetown beer, which is awesome. And we are in process, um, but hoping to get to a point that we can have something for ourselves, Shades Unofficially Licensed, um, in partnership with URI. Um, and then that maybe we could even get back to the point of doing something again where it's Big Trouble and Little Roadie again or another one where matching the two together for the rivalry game. So that kind of leads us to our next point too, where not Rhode Island based, but from a Ram to a Buffalo. You mentioned it briefly about Colorado, and I learned this about you a couple weeks ago, but you were the handler for Ralphie. Yes. How the hell did that happen? Nah. Um. And Ralphie's a, a giant ass Buffalo that people don't know. Like, yeah, it's not, it's not the mascot that's like stuffed and cute and stuff like no, that. No, it's the Buffalo. It's the real with, Buffalo. It's not the person in the costume. It was the real Buffalo, which uh, the Buffaloes, 
American bison, which I can get into that whole thing. The term <laughs> buffalo in the United States for that animal predates the term bison, although the field biology term would be bison, whatever. It's a different <laughs> story, different day. Um, it, it's the largest land mammal in North America. Um, I think it might like tie moose for that, but it's, it's bigger than any bear. Um, in terms of, like the males can get up to, I think, 2,500 pounds. They're bigger um, than bears? Yeah, wow. well, I think bears are around like 1,000 pounds. Wow. Um, and it may be up to like 1,500. The females can get up to 1,500, uh, probably a little bit bigger than that. But males are, are really significantly larger than bison. I think part of the, I'm getting into like bison science, buffalo science, <laughs> has to do with like the herd protection aspect or whatever. But anyway, so, um, yeah, so I... I handled cared for and ran um ralphie as the the moniker is for the buffalo uh i was there for ralphie four and then i actually was fortunate to train and run with ralphie five who just retired in 2019 so crazy to say that she had 11 seasons um running before every home football game and bowl games conference championship games, which unfortunately Colorado was not attending many of either of those. Um, but I was fortunate I got to go to one bowl game in my time, but really in the short of the running. So five handlers will be on the side. Ralphie's set with a harness and the five handlers run two on the side, one in the back in a horseshoe shape around the football field. At the beginning of every game, the team comes out behind. It is a very well run process but also 100% natural um, so we used to get well rated from PETA that you know it, we, I think PETA would rate us as the best live mascot program in the country in terms of the actual animal treatment um, but it is a very natural thing where you know she wants to be into open space she goes into the open space because of it there's a natural like movement where you're hurting certain animals where if something goes behind them, they'll move away from it because they have a 270 degree range of vision, but they can't see behind them. So they want to go away from what's behind them. So it's like a natural process of how she would run the horseshoe. So it's not like a forced training of anything. It's actually almost that she's doing what she wants to do. And we're just kind of guides on the side more than anyone. And let me tell you, no one's pulling her in any direction. If she was like, I want to stop or I want to go the opposite way. She's going the opposite way. Um, sort of thing. She's also a, it's a female. It's always a female. Um, with buffaloes, buffalo females have horns, so you know, different than your common cow bull difference, um, sort of thing. I mean, the reason being, like I was saying before, male buffalo, no chance you having any number of people in that situation safely. Um, but how I got to doing it, I grew up on a farm here plays in maybe to some extent I had maybe comfort around large animals because of that but it's not like I had anything similar to what that was of experience um, and then I got out there as a freshman and saw it happen I was like I need to be a part of this I figured out how to do it went through the tryout and the interview process and essentially it was like letting them know I'm I'm all in like you know you need me to work weird hours doing this like <laughs> whatever it is um, you know I'm in and I mean you do you the students who are part of it are the ones who 
raise and maintain the buffalo that we're going down to feed at strange hours. You go down to just move her through pastures, changing over certain things like that. So it's like you take over the the ranching cowboy <laughs> element too on top of you know the glory where you know you're 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 drawing the eyes to her and to you and looking as cool as you can on Saturdays before the before the football games start. What'd you have to wear for that? Just Colorado gear? Cowboy outfit. Nice. But Nikes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I mean, that was a nice thing, though, because people would always talk about, like, do you run in cowboy boots? And it was like, thankfully not. Yeah. <laughs> thankfully That'd not. That would be scary. So we had, like, they would set us up with nice, like, field cleats or nice, like, you know, almost like cross-trainer shoes. So, like, the sneakers we had were, like, awesome. But the rest of the outfit was, like, starch jeans, belt buckles, starch shirts, and cowboy hats. Where That's it was in like cool. leather gloves. Where it's like you look the cowboy part, but it's like this is not the best thing to run in. Yeah, <laughs> it's very you true. gotta be pretty hyped that uh, Deion Sanders is leading. The ah, absolutely <laughs> thrilled about that. Gosh, it's crazy. They were a bottom feeder of a team for a long time, and <laughs> they're going from literally, I mean, like a barely, hardly ever winning games, getting crushed in every game when they do lose. To now, it's like they're going to be really competitive quickly, you know, in terms of talent coming in, the passion, the attention. It's like that program has won the national championship and never had the attention it has right now. And they haven't played a game since he signed in December. Then it's like he's on the Super Bowl pregame show wearing Colorado stuff. He's on morning talk shows. He's he's all over the place. He's incredible for his presence, his character, his drive. That it's like, how does he have the time to do all this stuff all the time? Crazy. It's crazy. And uh, Homer, I mean, you are very fortunate to have a better basketball program than uh, uh, Chip. You went to UVM. Uh, we're Bryant guys, so obviously we're okay. new to the conference. And, uh, yep. you know, congratulations to another tournament. Yeah, 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 yeah whatever. Yeah. But yeah. It's like Gonzaga in the East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is. John Becker show. That's yes. all it is. That's right. So, I mean, like, tell us, I mean, you know, on the website it's noted that you're a big sports trivia guy, big mm -hmm. uh, Celtics guy as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, what other passions do you have? Uh Love my Celtics, love my Vermont Catamounts, love URI Rams. I do want to point out, we talked about the PC, the URI rivalry a little bit. For one game a year, I'm anti-PC, but I don't have any problem with them. I'm just as, as annoyed as you guys are about this Ed Cooley situation. We don't need to go down that road. <laughs> I just want it on the record because I love Rhode Island basketball. I love Bryant Hoops. I love what Grasso has done with that team. I love Mike Martin and Brown and what he's done over there now. I think the winningest coach in program history, that's awesome. Chip and I were just talking about how we would love to see some kind of uh, Rhode Island Cup where maybe round-robin-style tournament, get all the basketball teams in the state to play each other, tally points or, you know, whatever you got to do to declare a winner and get a trophy going every year because there's good basketball all over and be a good way to drive revenue at every every campus, get people moving around, watching good games. I think the, how people feel is, like, most Rhode Islanders are all in on that. <laughs> think the if the coaches wanted it to happen it would have there's one particular happened. college that doesn't stand to to gain too much from <laughs> yeah. that yeah well so yeah. ed cooley's gone now so maybe it's, it might yeah, uh maybe, it might yeah. change, maybe right? kim, maybe kim english has a different idea yeah. but you have to but you have to start the conversations there <laughs> sponsored by shades on we can maybe uh yeah, throw yeah, it out there i don't know i don't know but so, you think the C's are going to win it all? 
Uh, um, if you'd asked me that a couple months ago, I would have said yes. Right now, I'm a little less optimistic, but you know, there's still regular season to be played. Robert Williams is playing tonight. That's a that's a big plus. So we'll see. All right. Yeah. So. That's talking beers, that's talking business, it's talking some balls, some sports. So, you know, what's next for the brewery? What do, what do you guys got going on the next couple months heading into the summer? And, uh, you know, what's the future of Shades On look like? Beer garden season. Always great. Uh, I mean, it's great now to be at the end of March and to be looking at that landscape where we actually had the best best winter we've had in three years since uh, since the start of the pandemic. And so it's great to come out of that, and I feel like it's it's a feeling of momentum that I think we thought was there or was there in 2020, um, and to have just kind of been buried and just tough goes in the last two winters, and to have a good winter, have certain elements back with music, be open to full capacity inside, URI pregames, postgames, um, getting food vendors back in the wintertime, you know, so certain things that we hadn't done in the last couple winters, and now to look at what we consider full capacity in our great season where we go from, you know, April till the end of the year pretty much with stuff going on outside. And uh, we're, we're excited about that, thrilled about that. Um, and then, I mean, there's tons of opportunity, new stuff going on for us outside of here. Lots of, I mean, we're, we're expanding a lot of ground within the state, uh, lots of new accounts. We try to hit the areas in anticipation of the summer, so we'll be sure to hit Block Island coming up, definitely Newport, uh, Main Street, East Greenwich, the whole East Greenwich in general. Um, but, yeah, Distro's taking a big step forward. We have a beer festival uh, in Newport, the Newport Beer Fest, at the end of April. Um, a couple other festivals, you know, with more formal announcements on their way, but trying to just hit the festival circuit and be uh, everywhere at once. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. It's yeah. been a great conversation. To close out, um, where can customers find you from a physical location, maybe find your beer out in circulation, and also how can they keep up on social media? Sure. Um, the whole South County uh, area and community takes great care of us, so visit all your local restaurants, visit your local liquor stores. We love the Muse, we love Ocean Mist, we love uh, you know 210 Oyster Bar, Wakefield Liquors, Sweeney's Liquors, Wolf Rock Liquors, everywhere just in South County and, and the neighboring areas, you can find us all over. And uh, you know the train station's just right across the tracks here. It's a 20 minute ride from Providence. That's, I think people forget about that sometimes. It's like leave the car at home and hop on the train and come on down and find any excuse to come to South Kingstown and this is a good one. Awesome, well, we appreciate the time. Uh, no go fryers, no go rams because we're all we're all watching we're all, the sweet sixteen at home. Uh, yeah, go bulldogs, baby. But we yeah, yeah we we appreciate it and uh, can't wait to come down in the summer and uh, rip the beer garden. So absolutely yeah, awesome. Right now, Anytime, guys. Thank you so much for coming down. Thank you, guys. And that was just Chip and Homer of Shades On Beer Company. Uh, great interview, great conversation. That was a fun time. I mean, we we hit all three topics of this show and I love when stuff like that you know lines up and they they were great and it's funny because you know we drove down there it took us like 40 minutes to get there and we're just like yeah we really don't do South County a lot and uh we're acting like such there's a reason but as as transplants <laughs> we act like such you know it like, just Rhode Islanders through and through we're like ah, 40 minutes like that's a lot. But Chip said that he made a good comment. They're worse. They're worse down there with that because they're like, oh God, I've got to go to Ravenous. It's like, whoa, that's a hike. <laughs> that's, that's a hard. hike. 
So, but great conversation with them. Go check them out. Uh, the video is also on YouTube as well if you want to check into that. And we'll head back to our second segment of balls uh, presented by Giraffe Kings. So the Giraffe Kings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the Boston Celtics. So a little basketball talk now. It is live in Massachusetts, so don't bet with some out-of-town sportsbook. Bet local with DraftKings, the sportsbook born and raised right here in Massachusetts. For a limited time now, new customers who sign up with the code BBB will receive up to $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet $5 or more featuring same-game parlays, player props, and more. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook now. New customers who use the code BBB get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you place $5 bets on anything. That's code BBB, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Hope is here. Call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Play it smart from the start with GameSense. Visit gamesensema.com. 21 plus, physically present in Massachusetts. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Pre-launch offers participant voids. Terms at DraftKings.com slash MA using the code BBB. All right, off to balls we go. Um, let's touch on Rick Pitino real quick, too. He's uh, he's the new coach at St. John's, and I'm not shocked. Uh, a lot of rumors had popped up, and he is already, as Michael DeRosa said on our Road to the Garden stream the other night, bleeding content. This man is a content machine, and I love it. Uh, a, a true New Yorker coming in and saying, we're going to build St. John's back up, that's good for the sport, and I really like Pitino there. Yeah, I mean, you can't be mad at Patino for this move. I mean, he gave his he gave it his all for his past couple of years at Iona, built that program, you know, back up, and they just got a new firecracker of a coach in Tobin Anderson. You know, our swagger coach. Uh, we'll have to get him on the podcast one day because he he put his balls on the table when he called out Purdue and said, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do this upset," and he did. But it's a great, I think it's a great for the Big East. It's great for college basketball. And this will further, you know, hopefully enshrine his Hall of Fame legacy of like, you know, taking what this would be his sixth team, fifth team to the tournament. I think it's, I think he's one of four coaches to take five teams to the tournament. Right. It would be. Um, it's also, I think he's t- also taken three teams to the final four and, that's and two the... championships. Because yeah. what are his teams? So it's, it's. It's Iona, Providence, Louisville, uh, BU, back in the day, BU, and Kentucky. Did you say Louisville? Yeah, that's five. Uh, yeah, those were his head coaching jobs. Yep. So to take six, because St. John's, as it was, was a bubble team for most of the year. This year, I I don't think so. I think they were no, but I mean like. I wouldn't have been surprised if St. John's made a run, which they almost did in this Big East tournament. At, make no mistake, they had good wins. They had really good wins. Um, and they, they always had, you know, between Julian Champagne, uh, Posh Alexander, like they they can still recruit talent, and that was without Patino. Yeah, so I mean, Soriano um, is going to be the captain. You, and you got, not for nothing, you got Andre Carbello from Illinois, who was, he was going through his disciplinary shit, and David Jones from DePaul. Um, I don't know. There was a lot of talent on this team, but they, it just didn't work. So it'll be interesting. Uh, I really like Patino there. I think he's going to change a lot. Um, we'll talk about the the Sweet 16 and this is weird because you've got a couple of one seeds that are done. Purdue and Kansas are out. Houston 
people are saying is sort of suspect here. And then you've got teams like Arkansas and FAU and, and Michigan State, who I'm finishing up a blog on now. Uh, this has been weird. It's been a weird year for one seeds. Yeah, I had a blog originally um, in the fall getting prepped up when I've got which one seed loss and it was like back to back to back. But then Houston kind of held on to that spot for a while. I was waiting for them to, you know, get shuffled in. But it's just a weird year for the tournament. It's, you know, what is this? Like the the Blue Bloods are dead. The Blue Bloods are dead, which is just kind of just shows that the the shift and change in college hoops. And I honestly, this is, they said that in the beginning of the season that, or at the beginning of this tournament, that the lanes are open for a lot of different teams to make a run. I still think in the Sweet 16 that there is no clear defiant winner. Like it it, it makes sense that it should be Alabama and Houston squaring up in the finals, but I'm not confident in that anymore. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm still loving my Tennessee final four future. (laughs) That's still looking good. Even though I had, you know, I forgot about that. And I was like riding Duke because I was like, I thought they were, (laughs) they were a hot team, but Marquette lost. They were, you know, in a lot of people's final fours. Uh, Can Gonzaga, can Mark Few finally make the push? I don't. I think they're going to get their ass kicked by UCLA. To be totally honest, I think yeah. UCLA looks like a team that can win the national championship this year. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it. We talked about it a couple of days ago, you and I, about uh, Izzo and Michigan State. That you know, we kind of brushed him under the rug and said, "Eh, you know, I'm not really too confident in this Spartan team." But the statement is true as it is. January, February, Izzo, like he is a guy that I would not want to face up in late in the tournament. And could Michigan state make their way to the elite eight and final four? They very much could. Yeah. And I, I would be shitting my pants if I was Kansas state, they have a very good team. And what a cool story that is with Keontae Johnson, who obviously collapsed a couple of years ago on the floor with Florida. Um, They're playing really well, but I would be scared of this Michigan State team. I really would. Because Joey Hauser finally grew up and decided to start making baskets. Like, that's that's cool. He's got 15. He has 15 points a game, and he's shooting uh, 46% from three. Like, that's the Joey Hauser that they expected. Remember that, like, when they were both at Marquette, and it's like, oh, man. Sam Hauser is going to go to the NBA. Joey's going to probably go soon too. It's going to be exciting. And then Hauser left Marquette after John Morant beat the shit out of them. Sam goes to the NBA. Um, Joey gets recruited by Michigan State. And he sucks for a couple years. And now he's good. It's awesome. And you do this like every coach we've ever talked to is like, yeah, you have to succeed in the portal or you're screwed. And look at Michigan State. They're not doing any of that. Izzo took a bet on his guys. Like, yeah, you know, he got Tyson Walker from Northeastern a couple of years ago. And Hauser, he got, uh, again, three years ago. Or four at this rate. But they're doing it Izzo's way. And he is uneffing defeated. Yeah. I mean, you made up a good point, though, about teams need to win in the transfer portal. I just want to, it's not March Madness related, but it is obviously transfer portal related. Uh, four of the best players in Rhode Island have hit the portal from all four teams. Charles Pride, Ish Leggett, 
um, Paxton Wojcik from Brown, and uh, Bynum, Jared Bynum from Providence. So hate to see it. Hate to see it because, uh, I mean, Brown Brown is in a decent spot because it's the Ivy. You know, it's it's anyone's ball game. Archie Miller and the Rams. I mean, a is not a uh, not a walk in the park. There's a lot of competitive teams, especially with you know VCU, Fordham, Dayton, uh, Loyola Chicago. Obviously, had an off year, but you can never you know they they will figure it out eventually. And then with Bryant making the jump to the America East, not a good time to be a Rhode Island hoops fan, I guess. <laughs> There are better days ahead for Rhode Island hoops. There are. Um, what, what What's your pulse at right now on the bracket? What do you like your final fours? Do you, is someone emerging from the crowd? Tell me where you're at. My bracket's trash. It's actually right here. Crumbled up trash. <laughs> um, I mean, I still, I, I have three players still in my final four. Bama, no. Houston, Gonzaga. Duke was my fourth. My sweet 16 was, let's see who's not in it. Charleston, uh, Baylor, Arizona. This is fucking Zona. Purdue, Providence. Yeah, that's embarrassing Duke, to Purdue. Marquette, Kansas. Uh, Texas A&M. I hear you say you had Providence in your Sweet 16. Come on, man. I did. I did. Uh. I thought, I think they could have beat this Kansas State team. I really do. I think there's no way, to be Uh, honest. I had Indiana. So, yeah. Shambles. Shambles. I was surprised at Indiana. Um, I'm not even going to read mine because it's awful. Um. Wait, yeah, let's I, read let's read pages let's see what she had <laughs> let's see what she, let's see what she had she had her final four was alabama houston yukon and duke it's pretty good <laughs> yeah with yukon and duke in the championship yukon is now going to be the sexy team that people are like yeah they can go and I think they can beat Arkansas. Maybe Dan Hurley will take his shirt off and, and run around like crazy afterwards. Um, where I'm getting tripped up, I think they can beat Gonzaga. I do not think they can beat UCLA. I really don't. I think UCLA has just shown me too much. They've Tiger Campbell has been unbelievable this year. He's still playing Tiger Campbell. Um and then Jaime Jaquez, he's been fucking fantastic. And I can't see you can do send Drew Timmy out there. I, I I wanted to bring up Drew Timmy because like, what the hell does he do after school? Die? Did you hear them? I think it might have been part of my take today where John Fanta went on and they're like part of what Big Cat was saying, I think, and we never talk about like other podcasts and stuff, but some of it made sense. Like, why the fuck wouldn't you just go to a blue blood after this? Like, go play for Duke or like UNC or some or like Kansas. Imagine Drew Timmy at fucking Kansas. Yeah, I will. Oscar Sheway is going to go to the draft. 
Probably. <laughs> Dude, if he ends up at Kentucky. Oh my God. Well, I was going to say Armando, Armando Baycott just returned to UNC. So imagine yeah, that true. duo. Oh my God. Drew Timmy with Armando Baycott. <laughs> That'd be, sick. that would be scary actually. That'd be, and that'd be like the most marketable team ever. It would. <clears throat> I don't know. I I think Gonzaga's too suspect for me. And I'm going to regret saying that when they're in the championship. I know it. Mark Few just needs to get one. Right. When is desperation mode for this guy? Because, like, Mark Few might go down as one of the best to never never finish it. Maybe Mark Few should be the Providence head coach. So that's the thing, though. (laughs) is that an upgrade to the Big East? Like, I'm not saying Providence in particular, but is his leaving his current situation a promotion? No, it is not. That is a demotion. What is a promotion? For him? There's no, there's no promotion for him. There's nothing. That's his brand. That's who he is. It's what they do. He yeah. Mark Few is Gonzaga. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Just in the sense that John Thompson was Georgetown. Like that, no question. Yeah, even with this team that had its question marks, right? Still told St. Mary's, hey, St. Mary's, you had the rankings for most of the year, but, you know, read the room. We still own it. We still own this. It's literally exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know. But... All right, I, I'm going to make a revised Final Four here. I'm going UCLA, and I think Houston has enough. You know, I didn't agree with Fanta today. He was talking about how Houston just scared him too much. They It was sort of an ugly product, but I think they're just too talented. Like, people are comparing Houston to Virginia now. They're super composed on D, but they have so many more offensive weapons. They have more depth. I think Houston can go, and I think they'll play UCLA. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do on the other side. I, I I don't hate Tennessee in the final four, to be honest. I think I might go that route. Who would they play in uh, the uh, lead eight? Tennessee's matchup. Well, they play FAU first and then they play the winner of Kansas state, and Michigan state. Yeah. So I think Tennessee's the team there. Uh, give me a Tennessee, Michigan state um, matchup in the elite eight though. That would be absolutely awesome that's must watch television and then i think bama is going to cruise to the final four too i think they are shame on me for not putting more stock in them i had them i had them going to the elite eight but i i should have had them on championship weekend at this rate alabama unless princeton makes a little run i think they're done the cinderella i hope they make it to the elite eight I don't know. Creighton, Creighton's going to put them in their place. Creighton's playing well right now. Yeah, but you say that and then they put, you know, it's, I don't think it's out of the question. No, it's not. It's, I think Creighton had like a minus 15 spread. <laughs> okay. Might be worth it to put some on Princeton. I, I've done that with Princeton, Fairleigh Dickinson, um, Vermont. I took the spreads. 
I was looking at FDU, but then I saw 92% of the money, courtesy of DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, 92% of the money came in on Purdue. And usually, you know, like, I don't know, if it's like over 30% on the opposing team, I'll probably play something. But it was 8% of wagers were on FDU. I'm like, fuck, I, I'm, there's no way. But yeah, I, I that's why they play the I, game. I was like, I, I mean, this goes back to college football. My double-digit spreads bite me in the ass. <laughs> so I wanted to play it safe there. But I, w- I wish I just threw some money, like 20 bucks on Fairleigh Dickinson, right? Real talk, though, fuck Purdue. Like, that, I'm so far out on them. I'm so far out on Zach Eady. Um, You got to start questioning Matt Painter at this point, too. Because he gets really good players, and then they just all turn the ball over. I don't get it. Turn the ball over, and they just, like, it, you know, it's funny enough, but, like, Fairleigh Dickinson won that game because of their size. That wasn't a disadvantage. Zach Eady literally looked like, I made the reference yesterday, in the Shrek movie, the giant giant gingerbread man. Like, (laughs) dominating and fearful in the beginning, but splash some milk on him, and he crumbles. (laughs) Yeah, you take his gumdrop buttons off and you're fucked. And he and he's fucked. And that was Zach Eady. Zach Eady got swarmed like gnats and was lost. And he still had a decent game, but not, you know, as dominant as it was all season. He he lost to FDU. There's no part of me that's gonna say like Oh, he played well. Great. But there's a problem when your team loses these stinker games and you're scoring 30 points a game. That that's that to me tells me that everybody else, like there's just problems. And there's some talent there. Braden Smith is gonna be a good basketball player. Fletcher Lawyer is hitting shots left and right. I watch I watched a fair amount of Big Ten basketball this year. Then they were a, a a decently fun team to watch when they were on, but God almighty, when they were off, it it was fucking brutal. It was bad. It wasn't yeah. like it wasn't like these other schools where it's like, you know, hey, you have a bad night, right? Whatever. Everybody has a bad night. But, like, it's kind of like watching Virginia, that when they're just – they go slow. They're not making shots. They, Virginia doesn't turn the ball over. But, like, you know, add turnovers in place of the really slow tempo for Purdue. And that's that's the product you get. And it is ugly. As NEC guys, I mean, got to give tip the hat to FDU because I called them frauds for not even winning their own tournament. Uh, yeah, you did. <laughs> I did. And you know what? Shame on me, but also I still stand by that. They shouldn't have been there. That, right. But that's what makes this so magical because they shouldn't have even been there in the first place. And then you go fucking wipe out Purdue. Yeah. Unreal. Unreal. So... Another day we have to listen and, and dream that could have Bryant have done that. Oh God. So who's your national champion, right? Are you still Bama right now? Is that where I saw, you're I saw Bama? I think I, I honestly think, you know, what Nate Oates has done and you know, guys like Brandon Miller, I, I I'm riding. I truly think that, you know, the the product on the court right now, their season resume and just the teams remaining that they have the strongest shot. I they also have the e- they also have the easiest path 
I would say. Oh, it's not even a question. Like San Diego State has been playing really like I think that was a snub for a five seed. Like, I think oh, San Diego yeah. State in that first game, that five twelve game was more like a four five game. Yeah, and I feel bad for Charleston because it's like they, you know, Charleston had such a great season where it's like that was just a tough draw. The bracket, you know, ate them up and spit them out. But I'm, if I would be more confident, I guess, to see what Houston does on the other side and how they handle the adversity. Because again, Houston is a loaded talent, but can they match up to a Gonzaga? Can they match up to a UConn? I I don't know. I wonder how, screw all that. I wonder UCLA, how they with Miami. My, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They get past Texas, potentially. That's a tough one because the way Texas is playing, they, they're, they've got the chip on their shoulder. They want to win the title for Rodney Terry. Which again, another storyline. Another storyline. And these, uh, Xavier, Texas, I don't know, because you have a team like Xavier who's seventh in, in all division one in offensive efficiency. They're top 10 and three point. And then you have Texas who plays top 10 defense. So it's like, I don't know what the hell is going to come out of that, but these guys are going to be fucking exhausted coming out of the uh, coming out of the Midwest Regional. My God. Big be time. nuts. Big time. But that's the bracket. Uh, we'll close with the World Baseball Classic, too. Japan defeats the U.S. I admittedly did not really watch any of the WBC except the final. I watched some highlights every now and then. Um but the ending was truly poetic. You have Shohei Otani striking out Mike Trout. And I will say, I, I think I'm trying to figure out, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, is this good for baseball? Should they get rid of the WBC? Blah, blah, blah. I think that was good. I think that was a good thing for the sport of baseball. And I think it grew uh, on the, the global audience this week. Yeah, I mean, I watched every... USA game um kind of tuned in here and there from other some other for some other matchups I think you know there was a lot of people that obviously were up in arms because of Edwin Diaz and it kind of reminded me way back when when Paul George hurt himself in that exhibition game for Team USA but still ended up you know he missed the season but still ended up playing for the Olympics two years later you're you're representing your country on the biggest stage and for a lot of these guys especially you know some of our key players Mike Trout said that this was his biggest game of his career and that's you know again the Angels haven't done shit for him and it's you know you talked about the poetic justice of Otani and Mike Trout being the ones to close out this game they are not going to get those chances on their current team right that's never that may never happen again they may never happen again unless they leave which obviously Otani's going to get a 600 million to a billion dollar contract as he should as he should but these guys all across the league all across the tournament were like this was awesome they got to play with their friends from their respective countries they got to represent their countries on the biggest stage this was great for baseball it was great globally watching the impressions on social media it was like 11 million views in like an hour. I know, it was insane. I think 80% of the televisions in Japan were watching the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, I mean, that's that's huge. And because that it's, it shows you how big the game is there. It's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, for Team USA, uh, Mark DeRosa, shout out Sigma Kai. 
He significant was, uh, sig. He was a hope, brother. significant sig. Love to get him on the podcast one day. Uh, he obviously had a very talented roster offensively. Pitching-wise, shame on some of the guys that were worried for the season. Now, again, I understand, you know, guys like Cole, Verlander, Scherzer, big money players. You're worried about the your 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 bag right now and worrying about the new changes with the pitch clock and the windups and the upcoming season. I get it. I respect that decision. I also think though that it would have been nice to have a couple more pitchers on this roster that had more solidified careers. Yeah. So I, I see both sides. Don't shame anybody for the decisions they made. But as the United mm. States, and this just might be American ego talking, you want to be the best at everything. So stick it on the world on the world stage and go out there and and perform. So maybe if the World Baseball Classics Classics at a different time of the year, you were talking, right? I don't think that you can pause the season like European soccer when they do, you know, the different leagues over there and have people leave for a couple weeks and do stuff like that. I don't think that's definitely manageable, especially with like the owners and the CBA and all of that stuff. I don't think it's really, um, it's possible to do it right after the world series because people are just going to opt out saying they're tired and it's been a long year. So I don't know when the best time is to do it, but maybe a shorter tournament tournament, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer, but I mean, opening day is next week. I know it's crazy. We haven't even There's... done our, our Yankees sorrows yet. No, I'm not ready. Not ready. Not ready. I'm not ready for that. Um, but you know, I it's it's interesting because first of all, Mark DeRosa, I remember watching him like when he was in the Cubs as a kid. So that's pretty fucking cool that he gets to do that. Um, but like. Yeah, I think bottom line is it's it's good for the sport, right? It's it's good to have a proverbial like Olympics uh, for baseball every three years. I think that's genuinely really good. You get some more exposure. You get to go play with guys that you probably grew up playing with, right? Or you you've wanted to play with a guy, and everybody knows the All Star Game's bullshit. So go out and have a little fun. I think it's hilarious that the a spring training game had started. It was in the fifth inning uh, when <laughs> the final of the World Baseball Classic, too. That was just objectively funny. So props to you, MLB. Good fucking work on that. But Yeah, I mean, definitely having it all over was, uh, was something else. But the eyes that it brought to some players, too. I mean, there's a lot of Japanese players that I'm sitting here and being like, okay, when are they getting to the league? There, there was some talent talent and there was this one pitcher i think he was from i think he was on nicaragua and he young kid but he struck out the side of like julio rodriguez juan soto and um i forgot who the third i think it was manny machado and he got signed by the tigers that day he got a contract yeah yep it's like that's sick that is pretty dope. And I think there's there's a lot of guys that people are – I saw the Twitter chats. It's like, when's this guy eligible, <laughs> right? Like, he's got two more years left, and then he can go to the U.S. So, super interesting stuff. Um, 
Yeah, I what thought that was a good yeah. little teaser into the baseball season, though. A little teaser into the baseball season. Um, obviously, college hoops has been the forefront. Yeah, I, I mean, another beer episode. Another beer episode. I think that's all we got. That's all we got. 121 in the books. Um, working on some some fun guests these next couple of weeks. Stay with us. So long, everybody. Take it easy. Mm-hmm.